All right, so uh, after I get that lump swallowed down, then we should be ready for, uh, ready for the message this morning. Thank you, Dee. Thank you. All the kids, thank you so much. Um, you guys are, are really, really awesome. And um, really, like I, I love all your mom and dad, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, but if all of you kids did not come to church, I don't know if I'd be too psyched about coming here either. So thank you very, very much, kids, for, uh, for being part of this church family. It's, it's amazing. The kids between the ages of two and six... You want to head on out to the back, and there's going to be children's church for you, right? Yes, perfect. So uh, there is children's church. You guys get treat after treat today. That's pretty cool. So you can head on out to the back and, uh, and worship God together. <clears throat> All right. Before we, uh, before we get going, I just want to... Wasn't quite sure if I should throw this into the sharing time or, or a little bit later, but there's, there's something um, that's kind of been stirring in my head, and, and it is connected to the ISCF announcement in the prayer and praise part of the bulletin. Um, I really, really have a, um, a passion for, I hope that sounds right, for men. Um, I, I love uh, being a man. I love um, connecting with men. Um, sometimes in our culture, I'm afraid that we men aren't quite sure how to be men anymore. With all the hashtags and all the different types of movements. Um, and even in the Christian church, sometimes I wonder if we know exactly how to do it well. And so I, I, I'm um, burdened about that. I'm... I'm passionate about that. And then we get uh, challenged, uh, appropriately so, from time to time about uh, being a little more ready to step into the role of Sunday school and Awana and those kind of things. And, and I totally appreciate that and I get that. I, I, um, I think we need to continue to be challenged as men. Um, but also, um, we need to continue to pray for each other and bless each other and hold each other up. Um, sometimes we men get... Um, dissed on too much, and that annoys me like crazy, uh, that we get to be the brunt of, of too many jokes, um, which would never work if they were turned around the other way, by the way. Um, and so that, that, that does annoy me. Uh, at the same time, I, I, I guess we've, we've maybe in some ways earned it. Where am I going with all this? So the ISCF announcement. So there's been uh, announcements or requests to pray for men to be involved. All right, Sunday School, Awana, etc. Uh, I look at that ISCF list in your bulletins uh, of ISCF leaders. It's up here. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, I look at that list. We're training young leaders in the school. And I see the names of 10-ish young men up on that list. And I feel like our prayers are being answered. And so keep praying for young men. Um, young, young people, young adults, young men, ladies, of course, you guys are special, you know that. But men, today I'm saying pray for the young men uh, that we in this time, in this culture, that we would learn what it means to be godly men and that we would do it well. And so there you go. Uh, that was a little bit of a ramble, but um, I believe God, I left on the bulletin a couple extra weeks because I felt like that's an indication of God answering our prayer um, that not, uh, not all men 
are doing um, are, are, are cold and, and um, uninvolved. Um, we're good. Christianity is good because men, young men, are stepping up and taking leadership. Enough of that. Blessings on you, young men. Uh, let's start with, uh, with the message as I had prepared it. I remember as a kid, uh, even into my teen years, there was an electrician in our area. His name was Isaac Wilgamuth. He was a single man and uh, an older, at that time I would have said an old single man. He was kind of a hard man in many ways. He was bitter toward the church. He felt that he had been mistreated as a teen. Uh, he was also a, a kind of a hard man in other ways. He, he didn't carry an electrical tester with him. It, it wasn't necessary. He just used his fingers. And so I remember on more than one occasion, I remember him going, Ooh! and then he knew that the, the power was, was turned on. He knew that it was good. And uh, actually, I, I think that's what he did. Um, or maybe I just heard stories about him doing that. In any case, today, for today, um, that, is what, that is what he did. Certainly the stories uh, about him were told like that. Um, I also remember as kids daring each other to grab an electric fence uh, and maybe do other things with an electric fence. Um, you kind of knew what was going to happen. And so you, you, you would kind of hesitate a little bit and then, and then, and then you would, would uh, finally you'd be brave enough and you would grab it and you'd go. And so even though you knew that there was going to be, same with my friend or, or the electrician Isaac Wilgamuth, even though he knew that there was going to be a shock, even though you knew when you grabbed the electric fencer there was going to be a shock, it was still a shock. Even though you knew that you were going to be surprised, it was still a surprise when it happened. If you were here two weeks ago when we did the parent-child dedication, you remember that we did a short intro devotional out of Psalm chapter 8. Uh, it's a psalm in which David identifies several things about God and about how God ordained that things should be here on earth that surprised him or that surprised him. And maybe it's a little bit like an electric shock where we would look at David and we would say, uh, de, uh, duh, I mean, it is God after all. How can anything that God does actually surprise you? I mean, God is so amazing. He is God. And of course, things that he does wouldn't make sense to us as humans. And so as much as we expect surprises from God, they are still surprises. Maybe we could say the only thing that doesn't surprise me anymore is the fact that I am surprised. About God. Maybe I should veer off for just a second and say, I hope that you are still surprised by God. See, because the opposite is actually also a possibility. And I think it may actually be a bit of a problem that the fundamental Christian church has. We don't like surprises. We think we are smart enough that we have got God figured out. And so we kind of build the God box according to our understanding and then we decide that anything that comes up about God that is outside of my God box cannot actually be right or of God because after all, God doesn't change. 
See, that's why the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in the New Testament could not accept Jesus. Because he did not fit the box that they had created. They did not like surprises. Not even from God. We talked here quite a while ago about the fact that God is uh, more than God. There is always more. And so the more we understand, the more there is to be understood. And I, I love that about God. I love the fact that he is always a more than God. There's always more. And so if you want to walk in a relationship with the living God, then get ready for more. Get ready for surprises. Believe that. Believe that and don't put God into a box. Be ready to be surprised. Back to Psalm chapter 8. David admits that as he looks at life on earth and how it works, David admits there are some things about that that surprise me. He begins, let me set the stage. He begins with verse 1 and he says, O Lord, our Lord. So he begins by acknowledging that this God that he is speaking about is the Lord. This God that he's speaking about is the God that's in charge. The God that is the ruler. The God that is boss over me. He's above me. He is my Lord. God is in charge. In charge of me. In charge of everyone. In charge of all of creation. And creation, by the way, is used over and over in this chapter as being a bit of a reference point, And we're going to come back to that several different times. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. See, the earth is what we know. But actually, and if you keep reading here, and we see God's amazing qualities here on this earth. But actually, as you keep reading here, um, the last little phrase in verse 1, you have set your glory above the heavens. It's as if David is saying, so as we look at things here on this earth, the things that we can kind of see and the things that we can touch and hear and smell, that, that's amazing, but actually the earth is not nearly a big enough stage for God to show his power and his glory and his majesty. Like I already said, the earth and what we see here uh, is pretty amazing. It's the human body, plant and animal life, the seasons, the days, the years, how it all keeps working. It's really unfathomable. This past week I was visiting with my dad, who's getting close to his mid-80s. And uh, he, this, this week when we were chatting, he made a few comments about how he was amazed at the ability of the human brain. And, and the part especially that amazed him was, was this little thing about nerve endings. And he said, isn't it amazing? Like as you, as you move your finger closer and closer to a flame, in a split second the heat touches your finger, your nerve sends a message to the brain, the brain interprets it and decides which muscles need to be told about this impending danger, and they quickly send a message 
to these particular muscles of all the thousands of muscles in your body and tell those muscles which direction to move to avoid the impending danger. And this is my dad. And he, 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 this little thing that's been true reality for thousands of years, it, it, just, it, it just amazed him this last week. And he, and he shared it with me. And so that was my little cue to look into that a little further. Did you know those nerve messages travel at speeds up to 390 feet per second? And while we're on the topic of the brain and God's amazing creation, did you know that the average 20-year-old has, I hope I'm going to say this right, 100,000 miles of myelin-covered nerve fibers in the brain? 100,000 miles of myelin-covered nerve fibers in the brain. Did you know that you have about a hundred trillion neural connections or synapses in your brain? From time to time I've seen one of these uh, telephone boxes someplace along the road and you see one of these telephone boxes and somebody's had an accident or something or a tractor or a cultivator or something got too close and this telephone box has been, has been kind of pushed over or ruined and you see the, the inside, you get to see the guts of this telephone box and you see thousands of wires inside that telephone box and it's just a myriad of wires and you wonder how in the world can that all and it looks like they're all connected to each other in there somehow and it really amazes me that our landlines work at all actually when I see this and but that's an amazing mass of connections within that box that is nowhere close a fraction of a fraction of the number of connectors that you've got in your brain Connecting wire to wire to wire to wire to wire to wire. A hundred trillion neural connections in your brain. Amazing. Did you know that you have about two billion nerve endings in the outer layer of your skin? Two billion. Did you know that those nerve endings in your fingertips, I found this intriguing, can help you detect a groove in a smooth surface... That is two millionths of an inch deep. So if you were sliding your finger along a smooth surface, surface, and surface maybe too, surface, if, if you're, the, the keenest nerves that you've got can detect a groove that is two one millionths of an inch deep. Ah, there it was, right there. It, it just totally blows my mind. God's creation of, of and that's just a, a little part of the human body. Uh, David is, says here, a little part of the human body, and then we've got all of plant and animal life, and then we've got um, the seasons and, and the earth itself, and all. It, it just blows your mind. And then David says here in the last phrase in verse 1, the earth and all of its amazingness is actually much too small a theater for the display of God's majesty and glory. That, that, it's, it's just not big enough. Still. God is a more than God. To get a better glimpse, you have to begin to study the heavens. And we're going to use a couple of examples of that in just a minute. But David pauses here. And he speaks his first surprise. So in view of this, David says, what I just said in verse 1, in view of this... Here's one of, one of the surprises 
that I see. God, in view of God's magnificence and amazingness, here, here, here's, here's one surprise. It's amazing to me that God has set things up in such a way that the praise of infants and children is of huge significance. This, what we just did up here, huge significance in the way that God created, in the way that God did things. Now we, we got into this a little bit uh, already two weeks ago and so we're not going to spend a ton of time on this uh, today. But I do want to just add a, a couple, of, couple of additional thoughts. Um, the one thing that I want to emphasize just a little bit is the implication here that God has ordained it so that... Is my mic not on? Apparently my mic is not on. Check, check, check. Test, test, test. Here we go. Is my battery dead? Check, check, check. Test, test. No good? Try this. I'll turn this other one off so that we don't all of a sudden get a blast of feedback. You good? Okay, I'm going to take the other one off. There we go. So in view of... Oh, there's all kinds of stuff going on. We're going to get there. Just hang on one second here. Be patient. If I'm not using that, I'm going to get rid of that. Do you want it back there now, Jesse? Or? All right. You guys are still with me? Where are we? Psalm chapter? Very good. At least one person was listening over here. Back to Psalm chapter 8. So in view of God's magnificence translated strength. Now that seems a little bit strange, but, but just work with me for a minute. Um, from the lips of children and infants you have ordained strength. Seems, seems a little strange, but if you compare it to the next phrase, where it says, because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avengers, it kind of seems to make sense that he would imply strength coming from children and somehow this strength that comes from children is somehow effective in silencing God's enemies is somehow effective in fighting against if that's the right word God's enemies or arguments that are being thrown against God could it be that often children and infants are better at silencing God's enemies than we Christian adults are I'm guessing that there are countless examples of times and places where children ended up being much more effective witnesses than we adults did. For me, maybe the best personal example of this was many, many years ago. I was a young child. I've talked to you a little bit about this part of my life before when, when my little two-year-old sister was in the Winnipeg Children's Hospital for an extended period of time. 
Uh, and things were a little different back then. My parents weren't there all day, every day, um, like probably in most cases parents would be now. By the way, that didn't mean that they loved their child any less. But the nurses would always be the ones to tuck my little sister into bed at night. And she had all the nurses trained to sing Jesus Loves Me with her before she got tucked into bed. I'm guessing they wouldn't have done that with their adult patients. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained strength. They are able to do things. They are able to be a witness and a testimony that we adults often struggle with being. Those of us with grandchildren can kind of vouch for that. Those little children can make us do almost anything as grandparents. David says, that surprises me. It surprises me that God created in such a way that children and infants have that kind of strength, that kind of ability. Jesus, of course, takes it one step further when he says, I actually want all of you to become like these little children. He called a little child and had him stand among them, and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I actually believe Jesus meant what he said when he said that in Matthew chapter 18. It just seems often that somehow children do a better job of acknowledging and reflecting who God is than we adults do. They do a better job of giving God his rightful place of significance and power and glory and majesty and authority. So that's, that's the first big surprise. And like I said, we highlighted some aspects of that already a couple of weeks ago. And then the second shocking, surprising truth that David identifies here in, in Psalm chapter 8. You're going to see it in verses 3 and 4. We took note already earlier in verse 1 that David indicates that the earth is not a big enough stage for God's full majesty and glory to be revealed. And so you see that here in, in verse 3 and 4. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, here's the surprise. <laughs> what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Really? How come would you even think about or take note of, uh, literally this means here, frail man? When you take a good look at everything that is out there, it actually shocks me that God is even mindful of man. That's what David is saying. I think David understood something here that we 21st century humans find very, very difficult to understand. Mostly because we are so full of ourselves. See, this isn't all that shocking to us. After all, we humans are the center of the universe. I would say humanity has become grossly arrogant in comparison to the rest of creation. And we North American Christians, I would say we may be some of the leaders in this humanism problem. I invite you to think about that and discuss that with each other. See, until 1632, humanity in general believed that the sun and all the other stars revolved around the earth. The earth must, after all, be the center of the universe because the earth is the home for humanity, for humans, and so clearly we must be the center and everything revolves around the earth. In 1632, Galileo came up with the idea that the earth is actually not the center of the universe and that we, the earth, we actually revolve around the sun. We assume that to be the truth by now. 
I think all of us learned that in science class, that we actually revolve around the sun, not the, not the other way around. Um, but do you know who was the last to come on board with believing this idea? It was the Christian church. It took the Christian church 200 years to formally admit to the fact that science is simply so um, strong, so strongly indicates this that it, yeah, yeah, it, it probably is true. In 1822, we finally officially admitted that we, the earth, revolves around the sun, that we, the earth, are not the center of the universe. Today, we think that that's a little bit funny. The only problem is that in some ways, I feel like humanity has maybe digressed from there. See, now it often seems as though not only do we believe that the earth is the center of the universe, we actually believe that humans are the center of the universe. Everything revolves, in fact, I am the center of the universe. Everything revolves around me. David probably gets something here that, that the rest of us find, or that humanity finds difficult to understand. Take a moment to explore the universe again. David kind of does that here in a very general way. I love, I love being up at camp. Um, I love being at the lake. Uh, other places around where you can go, and I know some of you love doing this from time to time, stargazing. You go out someplace where you are really, really, where it's really, really, really dark on a beautiful clear night, and you, and you just stargaze. And, and, it, and it really allow it to just draw you out there into space. It's absolutely amazing. Did you know that scientists' conservative estimate is that there are 200 billion galaxies, I didn't say stars, galaxies out there in what they now call observable space. It's what we can see at this point. And one of those 200 billion galaxies is the Milky Way galaxy, in which the Earth is one of 250 billion Stars, try and wrap your head around that. Um, I'm guessing there's far more out there that's just waiting yet to be discovered. And God is God of it all. God is creator and sustainer of it all. Now let's do a little bit of math. Um, so our galaxy is one of 200 billion. And our Earth, in that one of 200 billion, is one of approximately 250 billion stars in our galaxy. Um, you need this up on the screen. Uh, that makes the Earth one out of 450 with 18 zeros, all right? One out of 450 with 18 zeros. Uh, but surely we must, like the Earth must be the biggest. Of all of those, at least, we need to have some claim to fame. And so surely the earth must be, and I have to dash your hopes, because the earth, in those 450 with 18 zeros, uh, the earth is far, 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 far from the biggest. And again, some of you have heard this, but I need to repeat it one more time. Uh, the biggest star that we've found to date is, uh, so if you would compare it to the earth, 
Um, if the diameter of that star, the biggest one that we found to date, would be represented by the height of Mount Everest, okay, you've all been to Mount Everest, and you've all climbed, the height of Mount Everest represents the diameter of the biggest star that we've found so far. The, the Earth, in, in correct proportion to it, is a golf ball. A golf ball beside Mount Everest. That's the Earth. That's the size of the Earth. Uh, again, if you do the math, if you, if you need to do the math, uh, that means the Earth is 1,461,736,468,311th the size of that biggest star. Oh, and by the way, on one of those Earths, one of those billions of Earths, on one of them, there are seven billion people, and one of those seven billion is you. And one of those seven billion is me. That's how small we are. I wonder if David understood that better than we do. When David says here, what shocks me is that the God of all of that, the God that created all of that, what shocks me is that me, this tiny little millispeck in the vast cosmos, that me, that somehow I hit God's radar, that shocks me. That surprises me. How could it be? I tried to think of something that would come close to illustrating this. And I, this, is, this is still a far cry, but consider an anthill. A, a massive anthill. And you take a look at that and you stir it up a little bit and you've got ants everywhere. I, I think it's safe to say millions of ants everywhere. Um, you, in comparison to one of those ants, is still vastly, one of those ants, excuse me, let's turn it the other way around, one of those ants in your eye is still far bigger, size-wise, than you are in God's eyes compared to the vast, 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 vast cosmos, if we're talking size space that you take up. How is it that you are mindful of man? How is it possible that we, minute millispecs in the vast cosmos of God's canvas, how is it that we even cause a blip on God's radar? God who is spitting out new stars that are thousands of times the size of earth. Every day he is spitting out more new stars are being created out there in the vast cosmos how is it that he even has time to think of me? That shocks me. That surprises me. That's what David is saying over here. And then David mentions one more shocking surprise. Let me just uh, bring this to a conclusion with, uh, with this surprise. Listen to verses 5 to 8. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him, this is humanity, man, crowned him with glory 
and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. And David mentions this last shocking surprise, and he said, how is it that you would have considered that we, that man, humanity, should be rulers of the earth? After coming to understand how tiny and finite and weak and insignificant we humans really are in the vast scheme of God's theater, how is it that we were chosen to be rulers of this earth? It doesn't really make any sense. Why us humans? I shared some of this with you already in the past in different ways on our safari that we did a year and a half ago. We had the privilege of seeing elephants and you take a look at the creature itself, uh, the strength astronomically stronger than I am or ever will be, the elephant would have been a, a great choice to be the ruler of the earth. No, me, a human. Or, or what about choosing somebody who's capable of, of seeing the big picture? Why not an eagle? Have you ever watched an eagle soaring up above that's able to see so much and get from one place to another like this compared to me? Why wouldn't an eagle? An eagle would have been a fantastic choice to be, to be the, the, the ruler of the earth. Or what about something much, much more majestic? I would say the choice is obvious. Let it be a lion. He would be a natural choice to be ruler of the earth. No, no, for some reason it's, it's us humans. Or why not the biggest animal in the world? What about the blue whale up to 100 feet long and weighing over 400,000 pounds? That would take, for those of you that like math, that would take five or six super bees to haul one of these whales. Why wouldn't they be given charge of the universe? No, us humans. Or what about something much, much, much more beautiful? Uh, some of you look pretty amazing. Yeah. But you've got nothing on some of the creatures that God has created. And they don't need any makeup. They don't need any piercings. They don't need any tattoos or clothes or hats or haircuts. Why not them? Why us humans? It doesn't make any... Or maybe the fastest... Yeah, Usain Bolt, Andre de Grasse, amazing, amazing speed, but they have nothing on the cheetah and the horse. Oh, and speak of energy efficient, study the bear and the skunk and other animals that hibernate. We've got nothing on them. Or more intuitive, what about the bison or the fox or the wolf? You know that we could keep going and going. David says, it's totally shocking to me that God would have chosen humans to be in charge of the earth. Our time is up. This is how God ordained it. This is how he decided that he wanted it. If you look at it, we gotta admit, it's pretty amazing. It's shocking, it's surprising. In many ways it doesn't seem logical. But he is, after all, God. A surprising God. And I, for one, believe that there are far more surprises waiting for me that I still don't get. I just need to keep my eyes open and my ears open 
and be ready to be surprised again and again and again. Amen.